Uh, so without further ado, Kaz and Ben Schwartz. Thank you. So you're a judge, huh? Yeah. So a lot of Underworld fans here tonight? Yeah. A lot, yeah? <laughs> well, the management uh, asked me to remind you that shoplifting is illegal, and you will be prosecuted. So, Underworld night. Okay. But right. if you can get away with it, yep. you're an yep. Underworld fan. You can try. <laughs> um, so 24 years of Underworld. Wow. Is it 24 years? Usually when cartoonists go 24 years, uh, you know, more Walker, Beetle Bailey, <laughs> right? You're in that class. You're in the, You're in a club, right? Well, I mean, I only have to draw one Garfield. a week. Garfield? They have to draw That's seven true. a week. That's true. Yeah. So I can do other things in the meantime. Okay. Well, it's one, the thing, though, is like when you have a comic strip that goes that long, some of them get frozen in time. Others, like Peanuts, kind of evolve over the years. So has is, is, uh, Underworld changed? Like, how has it changed from when you started? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think it's changed all that much. Um, uh, the fact that I, I do it once a week, um, I sort of go away from it, and then I come back to it again. So I, I think it's the same world that I come back yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, and something we were talking about, uh, people think that you're going to be a dark guy. <laughs> like, they think you're dark. Like, look at the characters on the book cover. Stabbing each other. happy guys. Yes. Like, yeah, but they're stabbing each other. Mm-hmm. So there's the, you know, the happy, sad, the, you know, bittersweet thing. Uh, for me, if I could do a comic strip, if I could write one that is both uh, happy, sad, bittersweet at the same time, I feel really happy about it. Uh-huh. And sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing about your characters is they live in this horrible neighborhood, right? This horrible city. Well, you but call it a horrible neighborhood, but I grew up in that neighborhood. <laughs> you know, I grew up in Hoboken and in Jersey City. Was that bad? Well, yeah. Okay, but the thing about them is, is for where they live and what they live, like they're always optimistic and happy. That's what I love about them. Well, I guess that's my personality, right? Because, you know, since I came out of that uh, really poor working class family, uh, I always saw, or I, at least I had the, uh, the imagination to want to somehow rise above it just through art and through cartooning. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you? <laughs> I don't know. You guys I can think- answer that question. Well, you have been doing, you write a lot of jokes. You write jokes for your strip. You write um, uh, for SpongeBob now, right? That's right. Writing and directing for SpongeBob now. Right. Um, have anything I've ever written, whatever your screenplays or essays or whatever, jokes are the hardest thing. Are they hard for you? Like, I mean, do you. Well, yeah, uh, they're hard. They're is hard, it like, like harder to come up with a joke than a story? No, because a joke is a story. Like for me, like a, a four four panel comic strip is a story. Mm-hmm. It's a tiny little story, right? Beginning, middle, and end. And so, if I write something that's an eleven minute uh, cartoon, like for SpongeBob, um, that's how I think about it. You know, mm-hmm. it just you get just get spread out, and it's more jokes within the jokes. You know. Yeah, and because you do it once a week, have you ever thought of doing a long form story? I mean, are you going to do the, the well, underworld graphic novel one day? I don't. Yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, I might do that. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah. I've done longer stories. Um, they've taken me forever um, because I'm, I'm very uh, meticulous and, and slow, and I think about them a lot, and I draw and I redraw, and it drives me crazy. But I think the longest 
comic strip I ever did was uh, 26 pages. Which one was that? It's called Sidetrack City. Oh, okay. And it took me a couple years, and I almost died. (laughs) That's an amazing book. That came out in the 90s, right? Or late 80s? Yeah, no, that came out, yeah, in the the mid-90s, yeah. Okay. And um, of, of, of the characters that you started with, I mean... You pretty much got the same basic cast, right? I mean, you've added some. Well, I, I designed Underworld uh, because I was really inspired by Robert Crumb. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was collecting all his comics, and he would create all these characters, and he would create a cast of characters, and then new ones would come in and out. And I wanted to have a cast that uh, allowed me to... Usually when I sit down to write a comic strip, I usually sit down and say, how am I feeling today? And I think, well, I'm feeling bad, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling happy, whatever. And that's what I want to express. And then I would think, like, which character is, or which characters are best to express that sort of idea? And so, and then I would have, uh, and then I would have other characters which I would do that are one joke characters. Right. Which uh, just made me laugh, you know? I always had this thing, whenever I felt like... uh, I've written a comic strip, and I, I feel like I'm like snickering after writing it. I know that only a f- few people are going to get the joke, you know. <laughs> and then sometimes I write something. I'm like, oh god, no one's going to like this. Everybody loves it. So I don't know what's going on when it comes to writing. Well, are, are there characters after 24 years? I mean, are there characters that are easier, or, or <clears throat> excuse me, harder to write? Because some cartoonists, I mean, like Schultz dropped some after a few years. Where's Shermie? He disappeared really quick. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I had Smoking Cat, who was a one-joke character. Yeah, but, but people kept coming up to me going, I love that character. You keep doing Smoking Cat. So it took me a long, like, I would have to think of, what's another smoking joke that I can do, you know? There's not that many. But then there's, like, Creep Rat, which I use as a way to sort of um, project my own feelings about things and also like good bad dark right and wrong mm-hmm. all those feelings go on to that particular character is creep rat that's the uh, of any of those characters? i think he's the ur character of underworld yeah yeah, yeah. okay um when you uh, the thing i've always loved about it is because it comes out of i mean it's really funny it's a classic joke strip but when you started you were at uh the school of the visual arts right um, I started doing comics, but not this comic strip. Before that. But the thing about you is you have this great dark, uh, dark, but dark sense of humor, let's just say. Um, But you started in Art Spiegelman's class at SVU. And for all. Yeah. School of Visual Arts. Right. Yeah. SVU. What did I call it? SUV. SUV. Yeah. (laughs) Well. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you start there, right? With Art's your teacher. Uh, Harvey Kurtzman's one of your teachers. Right. Right. Did you take Will Eisner's class? I did not. You did not? Okay. I did not take his class because I saw the comics coming out of his class. They all looked like the spirit. And they all had like all these shadows everywhere. And I'm like, I can't handle doing all these shadows. Yeah. <laughs> but you are, here's the thing. You're, at that time, you're, you're hanging out going to a lot of uh, shows at like CBGB's, rock clubs. You're part of that whole thing. Like if you Even before it, going to art school, I was doing that, yeah. Right. Yeah. So you merge that sensibility with what art's teaching. He teaches like classic cartooning, like Sunday comic strips. So well, you, you in a way, but no, art was teaching art comics. 
You know, he would he would like um, an assignment would be he would give us a page of literature, um, or maybe just a paragraph of literature, and say, turn this pay, uh, this uh, uh, paragraph into a comic strip, and then he would grade us on that. All right, but but you. Um there's that. There's the whole boxes. What well, you told me the boxes within boxes theories of how you you lay out a page and you have the panels. Oh yeah. And like oh uh, well, you know, I was crazy about um, George Herman's Crazy Cat, uh-huh. and uh, I think that's the one thing that Art Spiegelman sort of uh, saw in my work that I was looking at. Like uh, the, the whole idea. I mean, it was very arty, but I, I was thinking the whole idea of of the page. As a, as a piece of art and then within those pages there's little tiny boxes that tell a story so I would do you know, as simple as drawing like an apartment building with uh, little rooms and the characters go from room to room and that you know reading it like a comic mm-hmm. strip yeah right. so well that's that's what I mean. you've got to me like and you said uh, the the neighborhood they live in is like the neighborhood you grew up in Hoboken you to me you merge this kind of sense of like New York in the 70s and early 80s what year were you there at SVA uh, early 80s okay early yeah. 80s yeah. when New York is at its most dangerous right uh, I, mean, yeah, I guess so I mean it didn't seem dangerous to me because nobody else nobody tried to rob me yeah. until much later um I was there when uh, Keith Herring was uh, actually, he was like right. a class or two ahead of me. And so there was all this energy happening with uh, the, the sort of uh, comic strip imagery. And I remember that uh, I had a group of friends that we drew comics, Peter Bagg and uh, you know, J.D. King and all these guys. And we were... Well, but they weren't, were they at SVA? They were like... I, 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 think, I think Pete went to SVA for like one... Right, because you were in classes session. with Drew Friedman, right, right, and right. Um, uh, Mark Newgarden. That's right, and I know there's. Uh, uh, well, we were there. We were there in the early '80s when uh, uh, Art was teaching his class. It was called Language of the Comics. And so it was a wonderful class where he would just give these lectures and then he would give his assignments to do. And then he started uh, this little studio class afterwards in which he handpicked a bunch of students that he thought was worthy right, uh, to, uh, to work with him. And then from that he plucked three students to be in the first uh, few issues of Raw magazine. Right. You included, right? Yeah, me included and, and Drew Freeman and, uh, and Mark Newgarden. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I love about Underworld, and most of what you do, it's like this merging of like an art house sensibility to me, but oh, in totally, a, yeah. but in a like a classic four panel gag strip, right? I mean that's why like when you look at most newspaper strips, they're so boring because they're still like from this template from decades ago, and they're so. It's like, funny when I started Underworld, I I didn't especially want it to be like like an arty. I wanted it to be funny. I was looking at the comic strips that were uh, being published at the time, and they were all very serious or autobiographical, or they were just dark with a sense of being dark, or like no punchline being the punchline. And I just wanted to have something that was just all at balls out funny. Uh, but you know, whatever uh, arty sensibility I have actually kept emerging out of it, you know. So sometimes, I mean, I, I remember I did one strip where it was four punchlines without any setups, like all four panels, you know. And uh, I was just amazed that the publisher kept publishing it. And you're, you're, so you're deconstructing jokes, like, at, a early, at an early age. I think that, yeah, a lot of us were doing that at the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other thing I think that was really unique about you back then is that you appear in Raw, 
But you're also doing comics with John Holstrom and Peter Bag that did Comical Funny. And right? Screw Magazine. Screw Magazine, right. And then um, you're doing stuff for Robert Crumb and Weirdo. Yep. So because you're funny and you're this art house guy, you get published all over the place. Right. right. Yeah. Well, actually, it was... Not, there's not a big limit in where you can get published. When yeah, I think that. it was... I guess it was my second year at art school. Uh, art Spiegelman basically said, you're not going to learn how to... Uh, how to be a cartoonist if you're not published. So you have to see what your work looks like when it's published, and you see all the mistakes that you make. You know? And so I went out, and I, I just started going to all the uh, all the small newspapers in New York at the time, the East Village Eye, the New York Rocker, and I was trying to sell trying to sell my comic strip, but I didn't make much money for it. But it was wonderful to see it published. Yeah, well, why is that, though? Like, when he says you have to see it published, you can't just look at your original art. What does the publication do for you? I think I think it's a combination of seeing... What the reproduction does, uh-huh. like, and what you can do with your line work and how it looks, and also what the reception is, like, what the, how the readers feel, how do the editors feel, all that. It's you know, it's a, it is a business in a sense. You know, you're trying to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you started Underworld, there's this. Um you could start it because there were all these alternative newspapers like around the country that would buy them. The LA Weekly used to run cartoons, right? I don't yes. even know if they still do. But pretty, not anymore. No, and but they're like those newspapers are dying out. I mean, the internet is so you know made them kind of obsolete in a lot of ways. But what one thing the internet hasn't replaced is the way you, Tony Millionaire, Matt Groening, strip forever ran in those papers. Well, as big as the Simpsons got, he did it every week, right? So, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, if you were going to start it today, how would you? I, I don't know. I mean, I know there are a lot of cartoonists that have uh, do internet comics and, and put them on their websites. I don't think they make any money at it. I think what happens is, like, it keeps you working. And for me, too, I mean, even at my height, I, I may have had 13 or 14 papers at the same time. And uh, But it, at least it made me sit down every week to do a comic. So after about two years... It was a book, mm-hmm. you know. And would you say, like, if you looked at the first couple of pages, first of all, like, the book itself, which, by the way, is designed by my wife, Brady McDonald, right there. Beautiful job. That's, that's, that's how I got this job tonight. Um, Nepotism. Yes. Um, the, if you look at the artwork in the first... Well, let me ask, it's, is it complete? How complete is this over 24 years of strip? Um, it's not complete, complete. As a matter of fact, I have a, I have a whole flat file of comics, which I uh, consider my crappy ones, and I am going to put those out as Kaz's crap at one point, you know? Because people keep asking me, I want to see the bad stuff. I'm like, no, you don't. You know, but uh, you will. You know, if you want to buy it, it will be for sale. <laughs> and will it be Kaz's crap with two Ks? Like Kaz's crap. Very clever. I hope so. Yeah, that's like, you can have that. That's a good. Thank you. Okay, but if you, if you look at the first couple of pages and you look at the last, I mean, are, is there a stylistic difference? Like, what do you see that changes as far as the art goes? Um, I don't know. I think, uh, well, you can see how the characters have changed. Mm-hmm. It's sort of interesting to see any cartoonist working animator comic strip artists when they first create their character whether it's Mickey Mouse or anybody that uh, they become more and more refined as they go along and lots of times I feel like they get worse looking as they go along that I like that really ratty one and I'm kind of thinking that I might want to go back to drawing really shitty when I did it because it's more fun that way (laughs) well but you've always you like a more 
uh, I hesitate to use the word raw, but a raw look, a sketched look, right? I mean, you want it to look... Yeah, well, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Some, it depends on, you know, the idea that I'm trying to get across. Yeah. All right. Now, how did you transition into animation? Because Kaz is... Uh, what you were talking, I mean, you've written and directed on SpongeBob, right? So what are you doing this season? Well, I've, I've done storyboards uh, and storyboard writing. Mm-hmm. And this season, I'm writing writing, which means no pictures. I'm writing scripts, you know. And how did you transition it? How do you go from your weekly story? It was really, it was not, it was not that difficult. I just had to learn a couple of tricks about how you do panels for a storyboard versus the panels for a comic uh, strip. Yeah. Well, I meant, how did you, I mean, were you looking for animation work? Were you? No, it, was, like, it came out, it was a total fluke. Well, you know, it's not actually true. I was looking to do, I, I was pitching animation uh, uh, ideas in New York for a long time, not knowing what I was doing. And not, and also not knowing that New York was in the place to pitch, um, but I got a uh, call from the guys at SpongeBob in 2001 saying, "Hey, would you like to come out and write SpongeBob for us?" And I was over the moon because I was taping the shows and I was a giant fan. Yeah, yeah. And now I wouldn't say uh, Underworld is dark, but on SpongeBob you have come up with some dark ideas, like the Health Inspector show. Right, where does SpongeBob and Mr. But I gotta say that those okay. ideas were given to me. Oh, okay. Because those those were uh, outlines, and they said, "Here, you do this one. We know you can handle it." Oh, okay. You know. <laughs> but there's definitely a Kaz feel to SpongeBob and and was it? Uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, Mr. for me, Krabs, they think they've killed him, uh, the health inspector. Yes. And they're hiding the body. The question that I get a lot is like, uh, how like. You do these dark, weird, underground com- uh, style comics, and then you do mm-hmm. the stuff for children. How do you balance that? And I just think, I, for, for, uh, for animation and for children's animation, I just think how I felt when I was a child. Like, what was the thing that made me scared? What was the thing that uh, turned me on? And, and then I go with that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not that... Uh, we don't do adult things even in uh, Spongebob we sort of balance it so that there's something for the adults and there's something for the kids too or um, uh, Chocolate with Nuts now that may be my favorite one of the ones you've done that's the one where Spongebob and Patrick decide they have to make some money so they're selling chocolate bars right and now this is like the weirdest characters I think I've ever seen on the show is uh, Lazy Mary and her mother, Ma, right? And yeah, I don't remember if that was in... I, I actually don't remember if that was in the outline or not, but I just... When I saw it, there was these two characters, these old women that lived together, and to me, it was, you know... And Ma's in Baby Jane time. Yeah, it's Baby Jane. Yeah. And the yeah. character Ma is... I think you described it as a head... On a shrunken head on an esophagus. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that was, that's what she looked like in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. And when Lazy Mary went, this and what was really cool about it, I got to tell you, the guys at SpongeBob was really great because they took my sketch and said, "Don't change a thing. Uh-huh. This is the way we want it to look." You know, so even if it you know scared children, it was still funny. Mm-hmm. And she has that line when she, when Lazy Mary won't buy her the chocolate, Ma says, "Oh, you're just waiting for me to die." <laughs> it's like that seems to be the darkest line I ever heard on SpongeBob. <laughs> 
Well, you just wait. <laughs> I'm back on the show, and I'm working with these guys out here. Mm-hmm. It's going to be cool. Right. <laughs> um, okay, you've also worked on Phineas and Ferb. What are some of the other animated shows you've worked on? The other show that I work on besides Phineas and uh, SpongeBob is a show called Camp Laszlo mm-hmm. for, uh, for Cartoon Network, which was created by uh, Joe Murray. And... Uh, it was it was it was more of a kids kids type show with about a bunch of funny animals at camp, and uh, I have some friends here worked on it with me, and uh, it was fun. It was a good character comedy, and uh, I won an Emmy on that show, which made me very happy. Right, and with the book you have here, like you, as you said, not everyone, not every strip is in there. What did you, what did you include out of twenty four years? Well, everything that was in the previous books are in there, mm-hmm. and then stuff after that. So uh, coming up to pretty much the past couple months, and, yeah. and your comments on some of the strips, right between the panels. That yeah, were- that was an innovation that Bridie uh, came up with that I thought was really brilliant. You know that uh, after, in, in a couple pages you will have my little comments underneath it in, in gray, so you get a little tiny insight as you go through the book mm-hmm. about where the idea came from or how we felt about it. So, like your director's commentary on your DVD. That's right. Kind of That's thing. right. That's okay. what it is. All right. And, um, I mean, I'm going to open it up to questions uh, for you guys in a second. Um, let's just, how do you feel in 24 years of Underworld? I mean, it's a huge accomplishment. I mean, it's a weird accomplishment because um, it's actually, it, it's been great for me. It's been terrific for me. Before I did Underworld, I was ready to quit comics altogether. Um, they were taking me way too long to draw, like sometimes a month, sometimes in a month and a half because I was very meticulous about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was making... $50 a page to get published in Fanographics or some of these other little publications. And, uh, and I was doing illustration work at the time. I was going to pay a lot more money for doing illustrations than I'm doing for comics, which drove me bananas because I'm writing it and it's more panels. And, and I decided to just quit it all until you know, I was sort of given an opportunity to create a comic strip for the New York Press. This underworld. Yeah, so underworld. That's where yeah. it debuted yeah. in the New York. Press. And it took me about two weeks. I sat down and I said, I, I, I tried to. What do I like? What what kind of stories or what kind of characters would I like? Well, I like. I I love the honeymooners. So the feeling of the book is very much like the honeymooners. And uh, but I wanted to do a, a comic strip about criminals. I've never seen one really well done about like a comedy about like low rent criminals. You know, they're drug dealers, they're robbers, they're killers. But you know, they're friends and they're together. And you know they're working it out. <laughs> right. And you have uh, Patrick McDonald, the creator of Mutts, did the introduction. Yeah, right? Pat, I've known for a long time. Now you you first saw him in a. Uh, did you know him before he was a cartoonist? He was in a, a band you saw at a house party, right? Um, he was in a punk rock band that played CBGBs called the Steel Tips, and he was the drummer of the Steel Tips. And uh, Joe Coleman, you might know Joe Coleman, who's a, who's a painter, and he was also in the band, and he would. Uh, he would have like a, a vest of explosives that he would blow himself up on stage. And uh, I loved them. They were fantastic. And Patrick McDonald's wife was in the band. And right. she was this very cute looking, very young looking girl that would dress in a, in a Catholic school girl uniform. And then she would jump on a stage and you would think that, what, she's just in the audience? What's this girl doing here? And she would just join the band. And you, we talked about, uh, or I mentioned for a second about CBGBs in the 70s, because you were, um, you were, 
going to punk shows. I mean, you're in a you're in a Ramones concert video, right? You're <laughs> yeah. right up there by yeah. the yeah. front stage. You're going to these shows, um, and you were like this uh, new sitcom uh, vinyl. Um, <laughs> you were there, so I mean, was, how much did that influence your work? I think it was. I think it was a big influence, especially like the Ramones, uh-huh. which to me they seem like four cartoon characters, you know. And all their songs are really, really funny. And try as I might, I could not drag my friends out from New Jersey. I lived in Rahway, New Jersey at the time, to go to the Bowery to see these bands. So I, I would mostly go by myself. Right. And, uh, and I, drew, I remember drawing a little cartoon of the Ramones and going backstage and giving it to them. And, you know, like, oh, my God, hi. Here you, and, like, surrounded by these guys. It was so weird looking. And, you know, they were so enthusiastic about it. They liked it? Yeah, well, except for Johnny. Johnny Ramon did Yeah, like why'd you draw me with so much stubble? <laughs> and I'm looking at him, he's like got stubble on his face, you know? <laughs> All right, and um, I'm going to, the last question I'll ask is uh, what's the, you did a comic strip about this, uh, but. Uh, you created some artwork for Richard Hell, and you went and gave that to him. No, I did. Uh, yes, uh, in high school, I was well. I was a giant punk rock fan, and like Richard Hell was a guy who was basically set the style for punk, and especially the British punks, um, the look and the feel of it. And I loved the band. They sounded like four different bands playing at the same time, the Voidoids. Um, and I did. Uh, we had to do. We had to do a little uh, sculpture in, in art class, you know. And so I just said, oh, "I'm going to do Richard Hell," and it sat on my shelf for about a year or two. And I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to do the same thing I did with the Ramones. I'm going to give him a little piece of art of himself." Well, I just, I just couldn't imagine somebody coming up to you, complete stranger, giving you a little sculpture of yourself, like completely out of the blue. And it was uh, after one of his shows at CBGBs, and I went backstage and tiny little you know backstage area and he was the only one back there and i remember he was like he was on a table on a little chair like just what you say after the show was like so much like punk rock angst you know you know and i'm like excuse me uh, richard uh, i made this for you right and he's like oh wow you know it was like completely blown away it turned into like a little kid it was a lot of fun <laughs> you made his day i, I made his night made you know, until day. he scored Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do you have questions? Do you have a question? Oh, Archer has a question. Okay. Hi, Archer. You are so. Um, one of your favorite comics is Nancy, right? Yes. Ernie Bush. Yeah. So you even drew uh, Sago in one of your comics. I did. And uh, so. Uh, More than once. Also, um, also in uh, in. One of your, in one of Spongebob's, I don't know if you, this was you or not, but there was a fish, there was a fish with an excuse for it, and penis. <laughs> what? Why, what? Who why did that we, one? Why are we letting Archer read Chaz's <laughs> comics? Okay, well. <laughs> so, so what's the question? Why? So, um. So I was thinking, Slogo's hard to draw in the comics because he is hard to draw. He's really like, like a normal guy is like, like you would do a guy like this, 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 like the body. Right. But Slogo, he has a different like body arm. 
I, I'm pretty sure this was pretty easy, but uh, his hair? Yes. He, <laughs> well, Sulko is very much like an Underworld character, isn't he? Yes. I mean, he's got to be, what, like eight or nine years old, something like that, right? Yeah. He lives all by himself. His house looks In like a it. house that's falling apart. It's probably like, going to be, it's probably like old and Yeah, it's yeah. Bad. And maybe wrong. <laughs> yeah, I had you know it's it's funny. I would I would read I would read Bushmills Nancy. I remember it ran in the um, it ran in two newspapers that my father bought and brought home. One was the um, uh, Elizabeth New Jersey Star Ledger, and the other one was uh, the New York Daily News, and uh, they ran them differently. Um, I remember the Daily News. It was um, at one point it was a full page, and then the Star Ledger was a little bit shorter, and so there were three or four panels that opened up the Nancy strip that were superfluous to the, the whole strip. You, they didn't tell the story. It's just the characters walking down the street or, you know, or just hanging out. And then, and then the story started after four panels. And I remember I would cut out the panels where nothing was happening. And I would just paste them into a book and just have like, you know, the characters doing nothing. So it was like this existential story about the, you know, these characters doing absolutely nothing. And then when I was to School of Visual Arts, I had a teacher, uh, Jerry Moriarty, who's a painter. And he was a huge uh, a Nancy fan, and he was collecting Nancy comics, uh, originals. And he would have, like, full whole runs of Nancy. I remember there was, like, a month or two when Nancy's uh, niece came to visit. Look-alike niece. And he had them all. And he had a lot of philosophy behind, you know, the sort of the Zen philosophy behind, behind Nancy. And I think he influenced all of us at SVA, you know, to, to look deeper into this thing. But what I loved about it, and the big influence on... Uh, on Underworld is to set up, to set up a story to set uh, that's easy to read, right? And and uh, and it has uh, like a punchline that makes weird sense, like surreal sense. You know, my twist is that it's usually something dark or strange. Yeah, yeah, that's what Spiegelman always says about Nancy. It's easier to read than not to read. Yeah, but well, before before you decide not to read it, you've read it. That's yes. usually yeah. Once he yeah. turn, once he changes. Yeah. All right. Uh, right here. Yeah, you talked about how before you started Underworld, you were overly meticulous and you weren't really enjoying the art. How did you switch or loosen up so that it could be comfortable? Uh, deadlines. <laughs> I had to have it done by Monday, and so it would be like, okay, I got to finish this thing. Yeah, yeah. And then I did learn. I did. I mean, I was sort of loosening up even on some of my uh, longer strips at one point, you know, because uh, I. I, w I wanted them to look more expressive and artistic than just, you know, tight. I, I remember doing some illustrations uh, for magazines where I was working in almost as Charles Burns kind of like really tight yeah. style. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, that looks really great. But then I thought, well, that's not me. I had to find myself. Rick? Um, can you talk about, I know you like, obviously, Bernie George Miller, but can you talk about the other influences, like, obviously, there's a Fleischer. Uh, Fleischer thing was, like, really, yeah, that was really early on in my early comics, as sort of a, um, you know, these characters that are sort of really simple and really goofy looking, and just the idea of a character moving from scene to scene is sort of what I was sort of exploring, in an abstract way that I was sort of exploring in my early stuff. Yeah, that stuff I like. I, I, all that black and white, all, early comics, even even early Mickey Mouse comics, I love those. Chester uh, cartoons. Uh, Chester Gould was a big influence, too. Um, I remember uh, clipping the comics when I was a kid, and I remember looking at... Um, 
seen that Chester Gould celebrated cases of Dick Tracy that had nothing on the cover, just his head, just that profile. And I remember sitting, it was sitting in a bookstore in Penn Station in New York on the shelf, and I would pass it by all the time, and I was saving my money to get it. I couldn't wait to get it. And when I finally got it, I couldn't believe how violent it was. It was like, I was like, holy crap. Like people are dying, being crushed to death and burnt to death in these stories. I'd never read them before. They were from the 40s. Well, come back here. David. David. First, an observation about Underworld. The thing that I love about Underworld, I've been looking at you doing these strips for like three decades now. Because I used to live in your house for a few years. <laughs> the thing I love about Underworld is that you look at the first panel of this usually four panel thing, and I've never been able to guess what the last panel is. Oh, that's nice of you. Thank you. Yeah. Here's the weird go back into your past question. It's like you're talking about living in Jersey, Broadway. Hoboken. Yeah. yeah, New York. It's like, were you always making a living from your work, or did you have the usual succession of weird jobs before you got work doing graphics? I was doing, I was doing phone, phone surveys for a long time. I was, call, I was calling up and doing ridiculous things. Like, you'd, have, you'd call up and you would ask a, 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 like a question about, like, I don't know, feminine products? You know, and you would say... Uh, excuse me, sir. Is there a woman in, in your household between the ages of 14 and 25 that I could talk to? And I would just wait for the hang up. And they would go, oh, yeah. Hey, Susie. And I'm like, holy crap. They're actually talking to me. Yeah. We can do this now. <laughs> we can do this now. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, was in the air conditioner factory? Was in that one? Well, well, that was like before art school. I worked in factory. All my, actually, all my siblings and all my uh, parents—they're factory workers, you know. And I thought that I was going to wind up just being a crazy factory worker myself in New Jersey, until I had like this weird breakdown on the assembly line uh, one day, and uh, taken to the hospital, and I had a cataleptic seizure. They said, and I decided, well, shit. I think I want to go to school instead, you know. I was actually, the honest truth is I was actually trying to do uh, uh, syndicated comics at the time. I had created this character, this horrible character called Mr. Roach, and I sent it to all the syndicates. I spent all my money, like, printing this thing up, and I got reje- rejections left and right. I mean, it was, it was terrible comic strip, like, the jokes weren't right. Um, and then that's when I decided I, gotta, I have to learn something. You know? Didn't you, uh, you sent something to some big-time cartoonist and he sent a, a nice encouraging letter back? Yes, it was Russell Myers who did uh, Broomhilda. I sent a whole bunch of letters out. I only got one guy to send me back, and that was that guy. And uh, I remember I was very excited. It came in a green envelope, and he had, you know, his, his letterhead with his characters on it, you know. And I was like, okay, this guy likes me, you know. <laughs> One of anybody, now that you mention it, him, Charles Adams, the, like, and you, have, have every character is kind of weird. And none of the characters are like normal people. Or yeah, I guess. You know, so big influence, Brunhilde. Yeah, <laughs> Brunhilde. <laughs> well, that's actually something that Patrick McDonald points out in the introduction that your characters. He's talking about how you've obviously read all the classic strips, but you seem to have paid attention more to the characters, um, like in, in, in anything in Crazy Cat, Ignat's Mouse. Um, yes. I mean, I, I, it's all the bad guys from the comics that right. I like. I think I mean, the whole comic strip about bad guys. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think of it as like when I read Peanuts, it's like if you did a whole a whole strip of nothing but pig pens. Yes, so exactly. <laughs> anyway, hold on, Arch. <laughs> well, let it, somebody else have anybody else right here. Twenty-four years. Why not? A quarter century or something. <laughs> you never know, right? Next year? We'll do another one, yeah. yeah. It's all arbitrary. You, sir. I just wanted to ask about the relationship with Fanny Graphics for a minute. Yeah, they've been great to me. Um, uh, very hands off, you know. Um, anything I wanted to do, I would send them, and they were fine with it. You know, I had a great relationship with Kim Thompson, who passed away a couple of years ago. He was fantastic. And actually, I do like my very first book was through Fanographic. It was called Buzz Bomb, and I remember sending a letter to uh, Gary Groth, the publisher, uh, saying uh, basically just one sentence: "Would you like to publish my work?" You know, and I sent a few examples. Oh no, actually, I said, um, "Do you like my work? And would you like to publish my work?" And he wrote back. He said. I don't really like your work, but I'll publish your work. <laughs> that, was, that was Gary? Yeah, that was Gary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he probably does. He didn't come to my my signing in Seattle, so. <laughs> Staying away. No, this was my idea. I wanted to do a big thing, and they were completely behind it. And it was uh, Eric uh, Reynolds, who was like a big, giant fan, and he, he he's very happy with the book, yeah. Anybody else? Any more questions? Did you have an... Oh, oh Martin Olson. All right. Yes. Uh-oh. Backgrounds are pretty distinctive. You know your style. How did you start drawing those backgrounds style? The backgrounds came out of me just, you know... Was it like doodles? Or? No. I mean, it was just like I walking around, looking at buildings where I lived. And then also... Um, because I, I did this one comic strip called Sidetrack City, where I wanted the the backgrounds to uh, express uh, the the emotional turmoil that the characters were going through. And so, at one point, you know, the, the characters, you know, you could see the buildings, and they look evil. They look scary because this is what the characters are going through in their lives, you know. And then at another time, when things are happier, the buildings have all clown heads on top of them. And so, I, I definitely wanted to express all that, you know. It's funny what you pick is evil and menacing and what's just silly. Like, you know, what's the story? Now I'm losing uh, uh, the name of the story with the devil. The devil is the lonely. Uh, tragedy of Satan, yes. The tragedy of Satan. He can't get a date. <laughs> right? And so you took Satan. Well, he decides, to be, he decides to be good. He yeah. comes up to the surface. He, he, he has love at first sight with a woman who happens to be the worst woman in the world, Virus Slunk. And uh, she rejects him. You know, but through his love, he grows like he doesn't grow a heart, but he grows an artery. You know? <laughs> so it's the, it's the beginning. Yeah. Uh, do you, now, did you have we'll, oh, a couple more? All right, should we do one more? One more, and then we could do some signing. Oh wait, okay, wait back here. Oh yeah, the Cavs girls, uh, <laughs> definitely. Um, those those are all covers that I did for Screw Magazine, and uh, and uh, my influence basically. Uh, I remember when I was a teenager, I had a uh, had an uncle who had a very large porno collection <laughs> locked up in his attic. Uh, but my uh, my cousins 
his sons knew how to pick the lock. And so we would go up there and we would grab all these books and um, I said, can I take some of these home? And he's like, yeah, he'll never, you know, I'm sure he missed a lot of them, right? But this was all stuff in the 60s. So it was like black and white pictures of women in bouffants and they're doing something like vacuuming or playing cards. So I guess they could tell the cops, well, you know, they're not really just having sex. They're just, they're just nudists, you know? And I remember I had those magazines for many, many years, and I had them hidden in my attic under a loose floorboard, and I would visit them occasionally. <laughs> One day I went, and they were gone. I put my hand under there. I'm going under. I'm going out with flashlight. Nothing. I can't find them. I'm like, holy crap, you know? I, I don't know what happened to them. Uh, until many, many years later... Uh, you know, my dad's already dead. I'm um, having a dinner, uh, Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, my siblings are all much older now, and so we had a few drinks, and people are talking about, remember this, remember that. And I was like, hey, I had a bunch of magazines under a floorboard. Whatever happened to them? And it was silence at the table. And my sister says, I took him. <laughs> my, I have a twin sister. My twin sister took him. And I said, well, why did you take him? She says, I didn't think you should have them. <laughs> Feminist. <laughs> okay. We're, oh, all right. We'll end it up, but keep it clean this time. <laughs> well, um... Something I like in comics is breaking the fourth wall, and one of the earliest comics wow. I knew doing breaking the fourth wall was Nancy, because they, uh, because they occasionally people or an English Miller's hand, and, and yes, them, and like the, the characters would jump out and right. But, so, so I was thinking that you would have a more um, raw art style with, if you were breaking the first wall because it's like you just drew it and they knew that they were in that. That's really smart of you because, yeah, the first comic ship that I had published in the first row uh, broke the fourth wall in a sense in that I had a character walking down a walkway on a grid and at one point, he meets himself in a middle panel, and he freaks, at, he freaks himself out, and he runs away. And it only happens because you can read from left to right and going down. And so that's what I was playing with at the time. And also, there's Deadpool, who okay. is a very important yes. I can't wait to see the movie now. <laughs> All right. He breaks every law of the fourth law, and a lot of it... Lot <laughs> okay, Arch. Uh, Arch, you'll see, Cass. <laughs> All right. Good question. A lot of other um, media has followed in all of that... Because well, it's very tricky, I tell you. you. You can do that, but if you do it too much, it gets a little tiring, a little boring. So you have to know how to balance it. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, actually, we're going to do, Kaz is going to sign his book. Okay. So, I would love to. Right, thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Archer. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.